Welcome to Spooky Psychology with Megan and Lauren. Hello. Hello. <laughs> and welcome back. Welcome, guys. How are you doing? How are things out in Chicagoland and probably further than that? Elsewhere. How are things in the world, everybody? It is I, Lauren Malika. And I, Megan Baker. That was dramatic. I and like I... It. And I, I think we've added a new level of sophistication and seriousness to the podcast today because we're both wearing robes. We are indeed. And let me tell you guys, it's very cozy. It's really great. Megan bestowed upon me this luscious red robe that I am wearing now. It it was the Christmas gift that that your soul needed, I felt. It's so the gift that keeps on giving. It really does. We're bringing something something very comfortable to you guys. And this, this time, we know that the holidays are not fun for everybody. So hopefully this brings good vibes, good feelings to your home or your car or wherever you're sitting right now. Absolutely. So if all goes according to plan... Happy Christmas Eve. Happy Christmas Eve. We're intending on releasing this on Christmas Eve. And, you know, happy Hanukkah, happy yeah. Kwanzaa, happy yeah. cit- citronella. Is that one? That's a candle. That's a candle. That's okay. the candle that they use that uh, makes mosquitoes Perfect. Go away. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm, whatever you practice, we support you. And, and if you don't celebrate anything, that's cool, too. Happy Tuesday. If you're not a holiday celebrator, that's fine. You know, we're not uh, not only shouting out to our Christian listeners or just Christmas celebrators. Lots no. of people celebrate celebrate Christmas in a very non-religious fashion. Totally. So shout out to everybody. But anyway, this is spooky psychology. Spooky psychology. <laughs> we're trying to be so PC. Um. Anyway. <laughs> Because we're both like mental health clinicians and you just kind of have to not respond to things people say. So it's just like, yes, we're including everybody. Which is very inclusive. We genuinely are, too. It's not just like because of our field, we have to. Like We We, welcome all of our listeners. But since this is a very strongly holiday-themed episode, we thought it would be kind of fun to release it a couple days early as a little little Christmas present. present. Maybe a gift to all of you if you're in the car right now driving to visit your families. Maybe you're not feeling great about it. You want to decompress. Right. We thought that this could be a fun, fun way for you to just get in the holiday spirit whether you celebrate or not. Totally. And And just hear some weird stuff. There's definitely some weird stuff in here. And also here, something we've all been waiting to hear, my strong and controversial opinions on Elf on the Shelf. We've been waiting, and the time has come. Lauren kind of dropped that secret on her Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) The secret is out. Yeah. So, I mean, without further ado for this spooky psychology episode, we're going to talk about Santa Krampus. And behavior modification myths. So I'm really excited about this I'm really one. excited too. I think this is also good because this is like a good episode for people who like spooky things but don't want to listen to murder. And I like, like traumatic events. This is a bit lighter. It is. Um, because, you know, we wanted to talk about this. And if you think about it, so much of our holiday mythology is all about at its core, modifying the behavior of children. It really is. It's it's very interesting. So, 
thought we could just talk a little bit about, you know, holidays and traditions. Lauren, are you a holiday celebrating type of person? I am. I am. So growing up, um, we celebrated Christmas and I guess it was celebrated in like a very like standard Catholic way, I would say, Um, with Advent calendars, we would go to mass mm-hmm. um christmas day and get dressed up and all that stuff um we would get together with family we never really did much on christmas eve that i can remember um but christmas day we definitely would all open presents together me and my brother um and my parents and then go to mass and then go to like one of our family members houses and have okay. christmas dinner um and it usually was like the same kind of food each year um pretty standard when it came to that we definitely did pictures with santa at Mm, the mall yes that was very important um we left out cookies for santa Mm -hmm. we left out carrots for the reindeer because reindeer are important yes very much they need to eat too they do they're flying they are tough work takes a lot of energy a lot of spoons so yeah and oh we would write letters to santa and santa would leave us a letter in the morning and then at some point i want to say around like fifth grade i recognized that it was my mom's handwriting okay and i think we got that on camera so ooh, scandalous very scandalous i mean also i guess i should throw out there if you're a small child hi thanks for listening next time we'll talk to you next time just skip the rest of this one please please um, so you believed in Santa up until like fifth grade? Were you a Santa believer? I was. I was like a hardcore believer. I would say even like up to like sixth grade, I was still trying to believe mm-hmm. in Santa. Okay. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, I think, yeah, about fifth or sixth grade. And then I would say nowadays, as far as holidays go, um, I still celebrate Christmas. Um, but you know, being married, we you know, spend time with my husband's family and my family. Um, Christmas morning, we still do the tradition of opening up Christmas presents at my in-laws house and we'll get there at like seven o'clock in the morning and everyone's in their pajamas and there are presents everywhere and it's very cute and magical. Um, I also no longer eat Christmas ham for obvious reasons. So that has changed as well. Yeah, I think uh, owning a pig will probably ruin that for most people. Yep. So Yeah, it, it did. And yeah, we don't, I no longer identify as Catholic, so we don't go to Mass. So that's another thing that is mm-hmm. different. But yeah, we still celebrate. Yeah, nice. I think it's always interesting to see how traditions change yeah. as you get older and you kind of, I think we're both in that time of life where we're like starting to make our own family traditions yeah. for things, which is kind of fun. Like this year, we're throwing Christmas Eve dinner at our house. Ooh, and okay. I've never ever done that, so it's exciting. That is very nice. Mm-hmm. Very nice. So, tell me about your tradition. Yeah, um, my family has very strong Christmas traditions, and so oddly enough, kind of the opposite of yours. We're a big Christmas Eve. family interesting so growing up um you know we would do a big extended family party with my mom's side of the family so my aunts and uncles and cousins would get together um and then we'd usually go to a christmas eve service after that candle lit midnight one or 
Not usually midnight. Okay. Usually like a nine or ten. Thing. Catholics do the okay. midnight. I mean, we do sometimes, but I am still a huge fan of the candle lit Christmas Eve service, singing well, sure Silent Night, cozy. holding a candle. It's, it's just like a really important part of the holiday to me that I've missed the last few years, which is a bit of a disappointment. But we did actually just go to a big Christmas concert yesterday. Ooh. That was so fun. It was it was really well done. Like a little kids concert? Oh, no, 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 no. Oh. It was a... Uh, it was like a full production. Oh. There were children involved Present. in it, <laughs> um, but they didn't give the kids the microphones. The adults oh. had the microphones, which is how you know you're at a quality Christmas production. Quality. That they, the kids are there, but you, I mean, they don't have. Control. I love children's choirs. Don't get me wrong, but we all know that four-year-olds are not good at singing. They're not happy to be there. They're not happy to be there. They are crying. So it's good, I think, for them to be involved and do their little choreographed dance numbers oh, to the carols and sing but the main singers were the ones you could hear the most. So, I mean, I like doing stuff like that, but we would do the candlelit Christmas Eve service after the family party, and then we would go home. We would open up our Christmas pajamas. My mom, when we were younger, she would sew them herself, so she'd sew us matching pajamas. When we were older, she'd buy them, and they would be, like, different. And we would watch The Muppet Christmas Carol. Oh! That in our one. jammies. That's so cute. Yeah, and my mom is so intense about it. Like when my sister's husband kind of came in, my sister's the oldest, so she got married first. And when he came in, she printed him out all of the lyrics to the songs because he oh. didn't know them and you have to sing. So she's oh. like, Here are your lyrics. You will join us in this. It's like a really like role. intense sort of thing. Um, I do like Rocky Horror Picture Show. <laughs> Actually, it's a lot like that because (laughs) we have our own, like, family call-ins that you have to do. That's amazing. Um, Like in the opening song, sings he paints you with indifference like a lady's paint with rouge. And then me and my brother have to say ladies pinch whores use rouge, which is a Simpsons quote. Um, So we we, kind of throw our own spin into it. And um, obviously, I've seen the movie a bunch of times because mm-hmm. I know the exact lyrics and the Simpsons quote we have to do. So that was like a big thing growing up. And then we do Christmas, like morning, present, opening, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. When I was younger, we would wake my parents up at five in the morning. Oh, that's so early. Uh, we just bust in and we'd give them, you know, a Dr. Pepper for my mom, a Diet Coke for my stepdad and be like, Brilliant. here's caffeine get you know to the to tree <laughs> and you know i'd always my mom and jay would stay up late and you know put the presents under the tree and our stockings we'd put them up the night before christmas and they'd be full in the morning so we'd of course sneak down in the middle of the night and we thought they didn't know but they totally knew yeah um i wasn't a santa believer ever really actually i was told that I was told the secret uh, when I was three. But yeah, I mean, so we were told and I was so young. So I never like got the chance to believe. So I'm not, I wasn't like a real believer in Santa. But I mean, we do the pictures. We do everything. We just kind we, I always knew what was up, but I was okay with it. It was still an important thing. And now, of course, I have two families to contend with and, and things are changing. I think this is the first year that... My family, my extended family might not be doing Christmas Eve this year. Whoa. We're doing it at my brother's now. Whoa. We're going to have tacos. That so fun. we're kind of like mixing it up now. I think we're all 
doing things in a different way. I'm actually, it was funny you mentioned advent calendars. Mm -hmm. I am doing my first one ever. Oh, that's exciting. This year. We're doing the cheese advent calendar from Aldi. Congrats. Shout out to Aldi, my favorite place in the world. Um, Congrats to you. Yeah, so we're doing a, we're calling it cheese vent. So we got a cheese vent going and, you know, obviously as you can see, Lauren, who's in my apartment, can tell it's pretty heavily decorated right now. It's very um, in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, so we like to decorate and kind of do all of those things. So it's definitely changing, but I am a huge Christmas person. So it's, you know, it's fun. There's a lot of um, new traditions with my fiancé and his family and working in the two family situation and and baking his kind of cultural desserts that we do ask if his culture comes into play with how they celebrate it does it definitely does we make um kolache every year which is not polish kolach key that is a different thing those are cookies this is a it's a sweet nut roll Mm. common in eastern europe he's eastern european so we yeah so we're like looping in some of his stuff too uh there's a lot of pierogies and there's a lot of kielbasa my apologies to your pork not eating ways but there is a lot of pork involved (laughs) so yeah we're we're kind of mixing and matching holiday traditions and it's fun. I like it. It's kind of new and different. Aw, well, that's awesome. So, here's a question I'm going to throw at you. In the future, when you have children, will you teach them about Santa? Will I teach them about Santa? Probably not. Ooh, I, I don't... Controversial! I know. I don't think uh, my fiancé... They were not a Santa family. They never did it. Really? So it was very strict. It's a cultural myth and it's fun, but they didn't believe in it. Got it. Um, which I think when I was younger, I was like, what, you know, kind of bullshit is that? And mm-hmm. now I think I look at it differently. Totally. So I feel like, and I am not having a child. I don't know when I would probably a couple of years from now, nowhere yeah. in the near future, so it could change, but Yeah, this isn't a teaser to Megan's pregnancy. No. Megan is not pregnant. Although there is actually a strong history the last few years of things that we post on Facebook being misconstrued as a pregnancy announcement right? around Christmas time. Uh yeah, the first was a nativity ornament that somebody okay. thought. And I'm like <laughs> it was literally uh Mary Joseph and baby Jesus <laughs> as s'mores in a manger and everything. And someone thought that was a pregnancy announcement and the following year. We have three stockings up, one of them for our dog. It does have a dog print on it, but somebody thought that was a pregnancy announcement because it's a chill. small stocking. That's just Gotham's. We put a little jerky in there for her on Christmas Eve. Very <laughs> kind. She takes it out. She's a fan. Um, but no, I I cannot really see doing it. Mm-hmm. And I think especially since like I never... I enjoyed it, but I didn't believe in it. So I think we do it more of a cultural mythology and less in a you actually Mm -hmm. believe in this. How about you? Do you think you would teach your children that Santa's real? Nick and I are on the fence about it. I feel like we might introduce it to them in like a playful way and Mm -hmm. kind of when we get further in this episode um kind of explain like what that can look are you okay <laughs> yeah i'm okay my toe got stuck um explain like what that can kind of look like mm-hmm. um but there's a lot of 
problems I have with it from a psychological perspective. Agreed. So. Like, I could see myself being more of a, like, I know after my mom was very big on, like, Santa is the spirit of giving and generosity around I the like holidays, that. not like mm-hmm. a literal being. So we all get to take turns being Santa and you can be Santa for other people. I also think in... Um, you know, I'll throw this out there. Whatever your opinions are on Santa totally Claus, okay. totally okay. I will say, even though I can't imagine that I would teach my children that Santa Claus is a literal, actual being, I feel like it's so important to talk to your kids about not ruining it for other kids. Just yeah. like, just out know, of respect. Out of respect is the same thing. You know, you have to respect other people's beliefs, other people's religions, religions and yeah. stuff like that. Not that Santa Claus is a religion, but it is something that kids genuinely do believe in. And I feel like it is important to just be like, some people believe he's real, some people don't. But it's really important that you don't tell other kids. And that. ruin it for them. It's real. Actually, brief anecdote on yes. this topic. When I was uh, 17, I was in a production of A Christmas Carol. Fun. And it was the weirdest thing ever because they were like the older teens and they were little kids. And um, yeah, we got a very stern lecture at the beginning of the production that was like, do not ruin it for the kids who still believe in Santa. Nobody's allowed to tell them if they question you, don't answer. And there was this one eight-year-old who was wising up and was interrogating all of the teenagers about whether or not Santa was real. Like, she'd come up to her and be like, I need to talk to you. It's really important. And you're like, okay, what's up? And she's like, is Santa Claus real? (laughs) She's like, I know you know the truth. And I was always like, well, what do you think? And she was pushing it. So I feel like at that point, if they're really pushing it, you can talk about what you believe. But like, it's yeah. important no matter what. Don't don't be that person. Exactly. Because, I mean, it just it hurts feelings and, you know, all that. So. All right. Shall we get into the stuff? Yeah, I think we should. OK. All right. So um, to kind of give you some background psychologically about behavior modification i just wanted to kind of share where it comes from and what it is um, in terms of children so behavior modification also known as behavior management or behavior analysis all stems from the work of bf skinner and i think a lot of us have heard of bf skinner our good friend a good friend do we know what bf stands for ben franklin no i have no idea (laughs) i was just thinking about that i'm like it's always been bf skinner i genuinely do not know what bf stands for best friend best friend skinner Skinner. done done um there also was earlier work conducted by ian pavlov we know him because of pavlov's dogs um who did much of his work on dogs blah um who studied how different events get associated with certain behavioral responses. So he had the whole study where, you know, the ringing of the bells meant it's time for dinner for the dogs. So the dogs would salivate Mm -hmm. and then they would be able to eat. Well, he found that, you know, there was a relationship with hearing bells and the dogs starting to salivate and Mm -hmm. studied that. So... Do your pigs do anything interesting when it's dinner time? When they hear the clanking of, like, their dishes, they come running. Okay. Like, they know what's up. It's always interesting. What about Gotham? Uh, Gotham is very good with time, and she's very good with schedules. So, um, 
she's really interesting for a dog. Like she's she's a grazer. She always mm. has been. So like you can leave. There's food in her bowl right now. I think that you know she doesn't want it, so she's just leaving it there. But if it hits six, 6 p.m. and the food is not in her bowl, she will just go up to you and like get in your face mm. and then run to where the food is and then get in your face until you put it in the bowl and then she just won't eat it. She just like needs it to be in her bowl. Like this is the schedule because it's food time. So she's very like very rigid so she kind of does that where like if you you know she knows she gets breakfast after her morning walk she eats breakfast maybe 30 percent of the time Mm -hmm. but she'll just stand by the pantry and just stare at you until you put food in the bowl that's funny yeah yeah the girls are like that too and like what's interesting with um pavlov's work that transfers to humans is the fact that animals and people notice patterns Mm -hmm. and they notice behavioral patterns and you come to expect a certain thing if usually it goes a certain way so we'll kind of get more into that so for children behavior modification can involve a behavioral plan to help increase their use of more appropriate behaviors schedule changes to help remove triggers for problem behaviors like changing a morning routine to break a smoking habit Obviously, that does not relate to children. <laughs> <laughs> if or, your children are smoking, <laughs> please contact us. We will help you find a drug counselor for your child. They should not be smoking. Side Particularly note. with younger children. If your teenagers are, that's Different. not good, but approached differently. Yes. Anyway. <laughs> or self-rewards when a person gives themselves something positive when they engage in desired behaviors. For example, watching... A mindless television show to reward exercising for an hour. What I always tell people to do, um, fun fact, one of my jobs is actually in a weight loss program. Mm -hmm. So I'm always like, watch your show while you're at the gym. If you have a cell phone and you have the Wi-Fi to your gym, I'll tell people that, like, pick your mindless show. You can only watch it on the treadmill. And it works where it's just like, I want to watch or like getting a book on tape or a podcast Mm -hmm. that you only listen to at the gym. Yep. That's been like a thing for me since I don't commute as far anymore. I've lost a lot of podcast time. Mm. So now I'm like, I guess I got to go to the gym to listen to this now. Like, ugh. Yeah, no, I do the same thing. It is very rewarding. It is. So um, sometimes we modify behaviors in children in different ways. They can be positive and negative. So I kind of wanted to list some of what they might look like. Um, So allowance definitely can create a behavior modification. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you tell your child, like, hey, like, if you do your laundry, you are going to get $2. Like, that will increase their likelihood to do their laundry. Definitely. Um, Time out. So that's obviously taking something away. Mm -hmm. Um, So with that, you know, if they're not listening, they have a certain time out. Um, I remember when I used to work with children more, we used to base um, their timeout time based on their age. Yeah, so timeouts, they work by removing attention from the child and giving them a space to calm down and reflect. Um, most behavior in children is very attention based. They oh, yeah. love attention. And timeouts work like that. Generally, you want to do one minute per their age is yep. the appropriate length of timeouts. So a three-year-old should have a three-minute timeout. Right. And it should be in a consistent place. Um, and, like, not their room 
not anywhere. Like there needs Somewhere to be a specific be monitored. Yeah, where you can monitor them, but also where it's not associated. So you don't want to like make them take a timeout in their bed or that crib because then it's like also associated. Yeah. It's just it can be mixed messages. So totally. A and stair is... is a popular like a specific yeah. step if you have a staircase or like a chair or something is usually good. I also think it's good and it's been helpful for kids being able to like see a clock or have mm-hmm. like a timer yes um i think that creates kind of like security and consistency too of knowing like okay this will end yeah definitely it, it helps them again kids respond really well to routine mm-hmm. just like adults do so if they know what's gonna happen it it works i really i'm a big supporter of timeouts it's very research-based and it's very effective yep i agree Next one, uh, losing the phone or video games. Obviously, this is geared towards more um, teenaged or a little bit older children, but kind of the same thought. Mm-hmm. It's very honestly, it's kind of like the teenager version of a timeout. Exactly, you're taking away the attention they get from their phone, from their friends, or whatever. Uh-huh. Grounded, again, kind of similar thought um, to the timeout, and being grounded usually is taking away the social piece, so not being allowed to be social. Um, chore chart. Um, so that's a great way to modify behaviors because, you know, especially if you add things like fun stickers or mm-hmm. magnets or whatever, you can kind of cross off when they've completed chores. And it feels good to, you know, put that sticker on the chart and say, hey, I completed this. And I mean, charts are not just useful for chores. There's behavior charts yes, in general, are. Mm-hmm. which are very effective when done correctly there's specific ways to do all of this there's a lot of books and stuff that can help you but charts are good i like charts charts are good um so obviously this isn't a good one but it is something that has been used um and it's spanking so that connection between doing a certain behavior equals getting physically punished um you can be modify behaviors that way, but it is not encouraged this day and age. Also, it's not very effective in terms right. of behavior modification. I will say, obviously, that's not the point of today's discussion. As a therapist who's read a lot of research on it, I'm pretty strongly against spanking children. Um, Especially when it comes to, like, like giving a consequence for a child like hurting somebody else or being violent and then don't i've seen that a lot where it's like you need to stop hitting your brother so the parents hit you it's very confusing confusing. to the child um and there's a way to do it that's better than other ways and spanking is technically legal in most states there is a way you can legally do it there's a way you can do it that dcfs will not get you in trouble for but I think the vast majority of therapists are pretty anti-spanking as a method of modifying your child's behavior. Right. Because I, I think a lot of times what happens is the parents aren't regulated when they go to spank mm-hmm. and then it just gets out of control. Yeah, that can happen um, as well. So if you do choose to spank your child, we're not going to tell you you're wrong. But make sure that you're calm before you start. Because I've seen too many cases of, you know, you had a really bad day at work and the kid does something and it's the last straw and it can get really out of hand really quickly once that door is opened. So totally. Um, So a better thing you can use to modify behaviors is encouraging words. Um, So, for example, 
you know, if, if they do something like help their sibling, you could say, wow, like, I'm so proud of you for doing that. Mm -hmm. Or you're so helpful or you're doing such a good job or I really appreciate you. And Mm -hmm. kids actually respond really well to positive reinforcement in that way. They do. Um, as long as it's very specific, which I will get into in a few minutes. And then, so this one, um, I always have to like explain this to parents too. If, you don't want your child to do something by laughing or kind of giving them like that positive affect or positive attention. You're actually sending them the message that it's okay. So it that doesn't work. But I don't know if you've had to talk to parents about that before. Um, yeah, a little bit. I think it can be tough, especially... Uh, where I see this the most has to do with little kids swearing. Oh, yeah. Because it's funny. It is funny. It is really funny to hear, like, a little kid say something. Because also, they have no idea what it means. And that's kind of what you need to remember in those situations, is they have absolutely no idea what it means. They don't know why it's bad. They just hear words and say them. Especially for little kids and... You have to work very hard to not give it attention because like we said, kids are very attention focused. And so if you're a little kid, you know, maybe they just heard someone say the F word on TV and they're going to drop it. And if you laugh because you're surprised, they're going to be like, oh, that's a funny word. Mommy likes that word. And then it's going to kind of escalate from there. And it unintentionally modifies their behavior to start doing it more. And especially with that, I mean, with swear words like oftentimes if you just kind of ignore that they said it and don't give it a reaction they're not gonna say it again because yeah. it nothing happened so right. usually you can just work on that one but totally you have to be careful you're not modifying the behavior in the other way you'll also see that with older kids um you know a good example is like a kid who stays in their room mm. a lot who comes down to join the family for movie nights or something and then the parent, well-meaning, makes a joke like, oh, I'm so glad you finally decided uh-huh. to leave your room and join us, which can come off really negative. That can kind of, like, make the kid feel bad and actually make them less likely to do it, even though it's a behavior that you really want to see in your child. Totally. Totally, totally. Yeah, that's that's super helpful. So I'm just going to talk a little bit about effective parenting since we're already like rolling <laughs> into it i yep. think we should just throw some more stuff out there um you know parenting is really it's controversial it's hard i mean i know everybody's like they don't give you a manual the problem is there are literally millions of manuals out there and you don't know which one is what you want to do right so i know there's lots of different parenting types there's lots of different things that people try to do and we're not going to get into all of that but if you're looking at stuff that helps in that research shows helps your children become the human beings that you want them to become. Here are some things that are helpful. Responding to kids in a really predictable way. So children thrive on routine, much like adults do, right? Mm -hmm. And if you think about it in work and like job experiences, you kind of know, like if you do this, your boss is going to respond this way. They might be mad. They might be happy depending on what it is, but you know. So it is important to respond to kids in predictable ways, both when they do positive things and negative things. And if you are co-parenting with another person, it is really important to be on the same page and make yes. sure that both parents 
are responding in similar ways. And if you can probably think from your own childhood, there were most likely times when you asked one parent something and they said no, and you knew the other parent would say yes, so you used that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a common one, or you know that, you know, you kind of know kids know their parents and they know how to work them at different angles. Oh, yeah. So it is really important that it's predictable and they know what's going to happen and that you both go that way. Mm-hmm. Um, showing warmth and sensitivity. Believe it or not, being nice to your kids is a really powerful thing. Yes. Um, I feel like we shouldn't have to say that. But, you know, showing your children that you like them, showing affection, those sorts of things do help quite a bit. And being natural respect. Yeah, yeah, and being sensitive to their emotional states. You know, sometimes we think that things that kids do, like, are dumb or that they're so upset over something so stupid. But, like... They're little. They have less life experience. It probably genuinely is a big deal to them. So Mm -hmm. you need to try to remember those things and be sensitive to the phase of life that they're in. Routines and household rules. So this is something that I see go wrong. Oh, yeah. All the time. So, And this is kind of going into um, what I'll call the, the good boy, bad boy dichotomy. Is that we'll see... A lot of parents, and Lauren, I'm sure this happened to you when you work with kids too, where they'll tell their kid, you're not being good right now, you're being bad right now, where you're like labeling the child based on their behavior. But honestly, the issue with that is that it's it's vague. A lot of times I'll hear parents, you know, they'll tell me that their child doesn't follow the rules and the child doesn't know what the rules actually are. So the parent right. might be like, I just need you to be good right now. Kids don't know what being good means. That right. could mean literally everything and people have different definitions. So having... And same thing with like, I want you to clean your room. Right. Sometimes that isn't I mean, my idea of clean may be totally different from yours, you know, even as adults. So completely. And so having rules and having specific routines for doing things like making sure if you want your child to clean their room, you can ask them, like, what do you think a clean room is? What do you think you have to do? And then if you think there's more that they have to do, you know, write out a list, help them figure out exactly what to do. It's those sorts of things where children oftentimes will behave appropriately provided that they genuinely know specifically what they're supposed to do and sometimes they just don't so having established routines and household rules i mean write down the important ones make it Mm -hmm. very clear cut what the rules are and what the consequences are for not following those rules Um, sharing books and talking with children quality time is important supporting health and safety i mean that goes That one makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. And then using appropriate discipline without harshness. You know, remember that discipline is supposed to change the behavior, not express your frustration with the child. Right. And that's kind of the thing is make sure, you know, again, they should know what the consequences are for doing different behaviors. If you break the rules, this is going to happen. They should know exactly what happens, and it should happen every time. Um, Which kind of gets me to effective behavior modification is specific, consistent, and has natural and effective consequences. So specific, again, they should know exactly what rules they need to work on. If you want them to be a good kid, you need to tell them what good means to you. And what behaviors you want them to stop and what you want to see more of. And you should positively reinforce what you want to see more of. And then punish what you want to see less of. Or ignore. Sometimes just ignoring negative behaviors can be really effective. Because again, it's removing the attention that those behaviors are seeking. Um, Consistent. The same thing should happen every time. 
they break the yep. rules. They should know ahead of time if you hit your sister, this is going to happen, and that should happen every time they hit their sister. Um, and natural and effective consequences. The consequences should have something to do with what they did in the first place. Yep. Otherwise, it can be kind of confusing. You know, like chores should not be used as consequences when that happens. That tends to make kids associate doing chores with being in trouble, which makes them less likely to do them of their own volition. So, like, adding extra housework oftentimes backfires quite a bit. So things like, you know, for example, if a child really doesn't want to go outside with their coat on Mm -hmm. and it's cold, sometimes it's better to just bring the coat with you and just let them go and be cold because usually in a couple minutes they will acknowledge their mistake and come back and get their coat in which case it was a natural consequence it was the direct consequence of their actions Mm -hmm. and therefore they're going to learn really well i think every kid has a moment where no matter how many times they've been told not to touch the stove they're going to touch the stove and after they do it once they're never going to do it again and it brings up that that space to kind of talk about what they learned so you know they could be like oh my gosh like i'm i'm freezing actually i need my coat mm-hmm. and then you know getting their coat and sitting down with them and being like okay like what did we learn we need our coat absolutely and i mean if you look at this in more of you know behaviors like when your child is being mean when your child is using unkind words you ignoring them when they're saying that is actually a pretty natural and effective consequence you're not getting attention right because if you think about it as an adult if you're mean and use unkind words people don't want to spend time with you Mm -hmm. and you lose that social connection and so that's a consequence that makes sense like and you can even say you know, I'd love to talk to you about what you're going through once you calm down, but I'm not going to talk when you mm-hmm. use those words. And then just stop talking and ignore them. And those types of things can be really helpful because they have something to do with it. Like if you're, it would be appropriate to remove a child's phone if they're not doing well in school and they're specifically choosing their phone over their homework, then taking away their phone makes sense. But taking away their phone because they punched their sister in the face is like completely unconnected. Those two things are not connected at all. Right. And so it's those types of things and making sure that the punishment, you know, that they know what's going to happen and then it actually makes sense. At the same time, obviously, kids sometimes do things that throw you and you have no idea what to do, but that's a different situation. So I think now we're going to bring this more into the funds. That's just the basic, some stuff about behavior modifications. And now we're going to talk about kind of some of the cultural things we do Mm -hmm. in an attempt to modify behavior. Yes. So first, let's kind of talk about the history of Christmas and winter holidays. So Christians celebrate Christmas Day as the anniversary of the birth of Jesus of Nazareth, a spiritual leader whose teachings form the basis of their religion. In case you didn't know, I feel like most people know this, but in case you don't. I mean, I think most people in this part of America know this, but in other places, people may not. It's totally possible. So just shooting some education at you. Yeah. Um, So centuries before the arrival of Jesus, early Europeans celebrated the light and birth in the darkest days of winter. Mm. So many people rejoiced during the winter solstice when the worst of the winter was behind them and they could look forward to longer days and extended hours of sunlight, which makes sense. I can understand that. Yeah, absolutely. In Scandinavia, the Norse celebrated Yule, from December 21st, the winter solstice, through January. In recognition of the return of the sun, fathers and sons 
like son s-u-n <laughs> fathers and excellent s- clarification yes thank you fathers and sons would bring home large logs which they would set on fire so there we go with that fireplace okay, okay. okay. uh the people would feast until the logs burned out which could take as many as 12 days which is really intense but it sounds like a blast yeah the Norse believed that each spark from the fire represented a new pig or calf that would be born during the coming year. Okay. Exciting. That's kind of fun. That's a yeah. nice, like... It's wholesome. People used to celebrate much harder than we do now. Yeah, I mean, the idea of, like, eating for 12 days straight in front of a fire is really intense to me. I'm about it. How much would everybody like to just take 12 days off of work to just hang out, eat food, and watch a fire, like... We'd all be about that, right? So I um, celebrate Yule, actually. So for the next 12 days, we'll be eating in front of a fire. I mean, I'm pretty sure you could legitimately make a religious argument for that based on religious freedom. I don't know. If anybody takes time 12 days off of work for Yule, let us know. please let us know. I'm curious. So interesting. Okay. Also, in Germany, people honored the pagan god Odin during the midwinter holiday. Germans were terrified of Odin as they believed that he made nocturnal flights through the sky to observe his people, which is kind of scary if you think about it, and then decide who would prosper or perish. Because of his presence, many people chose to stay inside. Fair. Yeah, I would stay inside, too. I mean, right? Um, In Rome, where winters were not as harsh as those in the far north, Saturnalia. That's the one I was trying to think of. Not Saturnalia. (laughs) Not Saturnalia, Saturnalia. I mean, they sound a bit similar. I just love the idea. We should start a holiday on the basis of Saturnalia candles. (laughs) We hate mosquitoes. We do. The holiday. Anyway. So, Saturnalia, a holiday in honor of Saturn, the god of agriculture, was celebrated. Beginning in the week leading up to the winter solstice and continuing for a full month, Saturnalia was a hedonistic time, so food and drink were plentiful, and the normal Roman social order was turned upside down. For a month, slaves became masters, peasants were to command the city, and business and schools were closed so that everyone could join the fun. Like, how cool is that? I mean, that sounds cool, but also, like, terrifying. Yeah, I'm sure it could be. Yeah. I feel like somebody's got to take that to murder. We, like a, like a purge sort of a thing. Right. I mean, like, if you look at the, like, slaves becoming masters, I highly doubt those slaves are going to be nice masters. There's going to be some yeah. serious revenge stuff going on. I mean, the slave owners kind of had it coming, but... Yeah, I wonder if that, like, played into effect of how they treated them throughout the year. I do know? wonder. Like, I am curious about... Like, I should probably treat them well, because when it's their turn, yeah, they're going to kill me. I'd have to do more research, but it is, it's an interesting concept. Like, I just wonder how much it, it played out. Like, if there were, you know, where it's hedonistic, people are eating, people are drinking, everything's crazy. You just have to wonder how much violence was involved. Yeah, that's a great question. I'm not sure. So, also around the time of the winter solstice, Romans observed Juvenalia, I think, a feast of honoring the children of Rome. So, this is kind of where kids come in. In addition, um, members of the upper classes often celebrated the birth of birthday of Mithra, a god of the unconquerable sun, S-U-N, on December 25th. It was believed that Mithra, an infant god, was born of a rock. For some Romans, Mithra's birthday was most the most sacred day of the year. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and so it wasn't until the 19th century, actually, that Americans began to embrace Christmas. Americans reinvented Christmas and it changed from a carnival type holiday into a family centered day of peace and nostalgia. In 1819, best-selling author Washington Irving wrote The Sketchbook of Jeffrey Crayon Gent, (laughs) a series of stories about the celebration of Christmas in an English manor house. So the way that he described it, he made it sound really just warm and cozy, um, basically kind of explaining um, a squire who fetches presents into his home for the holiday and basically it talks about the contrast to the problems faced in American society the two groups were able to mingle effortlessly and you know he made that sound really nice and peaceful and wonderful um anyway so around this time author Charles Dickens created the classic holiday tale a christmas carol i love a christmas carol I do too. so much So the story's message, as we know, is the importance of charity and goodwill towards all humankind. Um, And this struck a powerful chord in the United States, and England showed members of Victorian society the benefits of celebrating the holiday. So the family was also becoming less disciplined and more sensitive to the emotional needs of children during the 1800s. So Christmas provided families with a day when they could lavish attention and gifts on their children without appearing to spoil them. Hmm. So as you can see, a lot of this stuff is pretty recent. I feel like the history is so interesting. I think if like you look at it, though, it is interesting how over time cultures tend to like blend and mesh together Mm -hmm. where like different aspects of different holidays. I think just naturally come together where it's like lots of people are doing this and you kind of incorporate different things. So it is interesting to see kind of some of the earlier stuff like with the Mm -hmm. Yule log and fireplaces and things like that. Yeah, it's cool kind of pulling in all those things together. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I kind of want to get into the history of Santa. Santa Claus. Old Saint Nick. So the legend of Santa Claus can be traced back to a monk named St. Nicholas, who was born in Turkey around 280 AD. Um, St. Nicholas, as we know, gave away his inherited wealth and traveled the countryside helping the poor mm. and sick, becoming known as the protector of children and sailors. Not, I did not know about the sailors. Part. I didn't know about the sailors <laughs> either, but good, okay. Yeah, they, so yeah. cool dude, super they nice. They could use a protector, so great. Yeah. So St. Nick first entered American popular culture in the late 18th 18th century in New York. Um, Dutch families gathered to honor the anniversary of St. Nicholas, Dutch for St. Nicholas, or Sinterklaas for short. Santa Claus draws his name from this abbreviation. So in 1822, Episcopal minister Clement Clark Moore wrote a Christmas poem, an account of a visit from St. Nicholas, more popularly, popularly known by its first line, "'Twas the night before Christmas. So the poem depicted Santa Claus as a jolly man who flies from home to home in a sled driven by reindeer to deliver toys. The iconic version of Santa Claus as a jolly man in a red in red with a white beard and a sack of toys was immortalized in 1881 when political cartoonist Thomas Nast drew on Moore's poem to create the image of old St. Nick we know today. Hmm. So that's kind of interesting how like almost like the media got involved and kind of brought yeah. forth like it was image. an older thing but like the image of santa claus as we know him today is very recent like we really kind of pushed him 
for the commercialization oh, aspect totally. from the media. Like that that's an interesting thing. And it's also interesting to kind of tie back that it comes from like the Dutch and the mm-hmm. Dutch brought Santa here and yeah. It's an American melting pot. Right. And yeah. there's so much with Santa now. There's so many movies. There there's, are. It's really intense. It's really intense. So what's your favorite Santa movie? I don't know. I'm a big fan of like the claymation like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I do like that one. Um, I have a soft spot for the old animated The Grinch. Oh, yeah. But we just watched The Santa Claus last night. I do like that one, too. It's a good one. Yeah. It's a sweet one. I like a lot. Like I said, I'm a big Christmas person, so I do like a lot of the movies. So I'm pretty pretty open to a lot of them. Okay. Okay. So I kind of wanted to get into some problems as far as, like... Modifying children's behavior using Santa because of course I mean if you look at Santa now what does Santa do he lives get he leaves gifts for the good children right and he leaves, leaves coal. coal for the bad kids so you tell your kid like oh you gotta be good or Santa's not gonna bring you presents mm-hmm. and kind of like this this feeling of like Santa's always watching you and always watching your behavior. He sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Terrifying. Terrifying. Um, Did your parents like tell you that Santa would take away your toys if you were bad? Like did they go for that angle? I feel like my mom did. I don't remember Mm -hmm. my dad ever doing that. Yeah. How about you? Yeah, definitely. We were, um, Told that where it's like oh be good but of course like I didn't believe in Santa so it didn't work quite as well for me but yeah definitely the whole like you have to be good because it's almost Christmas and you want to get presents well and I mean obviously this will kind of go into like what we're talking about but like I remember when I was little like even that like behavior modification flaw of well even when I'm bad I've gotten presents so right it's probably <laughs> that that's that's one of the big issues is that if you look at again what I was talking about with the specific and consistency number one it's falling into like Santa gives presents to the good kids Mm -hmm. and coal to the bad kids it never really breaks down like what you have to do to be naughty or nice like and I guess if you're if you as a parent actually specifically break it down more it might be very effective but think about being a kid and going back to school mm-hmm. after break and hearing everybody talk about what presents they got mm-hmm. and also hearing that one kid in your third grade class, you all have one and you all instantly thought of one, right? Who is always mean mm-hmm. and got some really nice presents for Christmas and like you see confusing. that too a lot or the times I mean parents spend a lot of money on gifts do you really take your children's gifts away if right. they're bad no usually we don't have the heart to do that no usually we don't so in terms of actually changing you might Maybe when they're younger, it might work for a while, like the threat might work, but ultimately as soon as they realize there's no follow-through, like they do something terrible and they still get presents instead of 
hole Mm -hmm. or they, you know, have a classmate who's really, really mean and still gets presents, they'll kind of realize it's an empty thread. Mm -hmm. And as soon as there's not that follow through, it really is not effective anymore. Right. So it's hard to kind of control all areas because even if like you explain things very thoroughly, like at home, they can still have that experience at Mm -hmm. school or with other family members. Yeah. And I mean, at the same time, it's like teaching kids, you have to be good so you get presents. It doesn't like explain why they should be doing these things. (laughs) Like be a good person. It's just like you won't get material possessions if you act like this. So don't act like this. Right. So um, I read this really good article um, about this actually um, from the creativechild.com. And they brought up some really good points that I wanted to share. The first one was, you know, would you rather your child behave out of respect for you or fear of an imaginary man? Yeah. That's a pretty solid question. Um, So that's the first one. The obvious problem with Santa, with the Santa threat, is that it's temporary. So come on December 26th, what new tactic will you use? Yeah, definitely. I think we've talked about that a little bit. very time limited. Yep. Um, So what if someone threatened to report all of your mistakes and shortcomings to someone whose opinion you highly valued? Importantly, how would you feel towards the person making the threat? Hurt? Devalued? Resentful? All these emotions we want to stir up in our kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I mean, just naturally through that, I I can see like as a child... um, you know, if your mom or dad's threatening you, like, oh, I'm going to tell Santa, being, like, super angry at them. Like, why would you tell them? And, you know, just kind of creating almost that unhealthy relationship with a parent. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, again, the whole, like, Santa is watching you all the time is kind of creepy. And yeah. I think it could be very, it's creepy. I always thought it was creepy. So it could have that effect on a lot of kids. I don't know if you've ever felt this way as a therapist, but I've definitely felt like with some kids' parents that they almost like put me in a like a Santa like position of like, oh, like if you do this, like I'm gonna tell Lauren or they're like, Yeah, so and so did this and just like so much like shame and embarrassment like from the kid. I don't get it a ton, but it has happened before where it's like, Oh, I'm gonna tell her and it's like I mean, you still should because it's stuff I should know about but that can be very confusing to a child. Right, where, you know, it kinda goes back to like what is a therapist's role and, you know, you're not supposed to idealize us. Yeah, definitely. We're just people. We're just people. Um, so yeah, so the Santa threat kind of taints the spirit of the holiday season, and with it, you know, comes the memories of Christmas with family. So if you're going to use Santa at all, this author suggests that let it be a part of the spirit of magic and wonder and not fear. Let their memories be of baking cookies with a loved parent to leave by the fireplace and feeling loved and worthy of receiving good things. Mm Mm-hmm. So what mainly the article is suggesting is that Santa should equal love, not fear. And I think if you kind of go back to that main point, if you're kind of struggling with this whole Santa thing, um, that's a good touchstone of just, you know, I want it to be a message of you are worthy of receiving nice things because you're a good person and we're going to work on making other people feel good too. Right. Again, it's that spirit of giving factor and maybe not a threat because ultimately the threat's not going to work long term. Absolutely. 
so now I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, something related related <laughs> to Santa Claus. Santa Claus is kind of twisted brother Krampus. So I love Krampus. Lauren, you watched the movie. I did. Would you like to tell us a little bit about the movie of Krampus? So I'm positive this isn't historically accurate. Um, but Probably watched, not helpful to this, but it is fun. It so. is interesting. Um, so in the movie, it was actually with like really good actors and actresses. It was a guy from Parks and Rec who plays like Leslie Nope's husband. Oh, Ben. I mm-hmm. love Ben. So he was in Adam it. Adam Scott is Adam the Scott. actor, yes. Um, the woman from, okay, like, I don't know actors' names, so this is a problem, but I'm telling you, they're, like, big-time actors and actresses, so that was pretty cool. But anyway, so basically in the story of Krampus, like, from the one that I saw, was, like, there was, like, this little, um, German grandma, and I think her name was Oma? Mm-hmm. I think that's how you say it? I don't know. But anyway, so, like, Oma like, had this, like, history where, like, she wished that, um, her parents would go away, so, like, Krampus, like, made it possible and Mm. left her as, like, a reminder of, like, why the Christmas spirit is important and what happens when hope is lost. Okay. And basically, he kind of came in the form of, like, this giant, like, goat creature with this, like, long tongue that was, like, super creepy. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, it was kind of, like, this vibe of, like, almost like he was, like, the devil in some ways. Yeah. Like, related to, like... There's a lot of, like, fire happening. There's horns involved. Like, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, actually, though, if we look at it historically, so Krampus is, he's kind of a German thing. He's a half goat, half demon. It's kind of his vibe. So he is a demon. He's associated with the underworld. He's also partly a goat, hence the horns. Um, And it originally, the roots don't really have anything to do with Christmas. Hmm. So his pre-Germanic paganism in the region was kind of where he started um, name from the German Krampen, which means claw. He's got little claws. Santa uh, We're figuring it out, guys. Um, he's the son of the Norse god of the underworld, Hell. So, during the 12th century, the Catholic Church was trying to get rid of Krampus celebrations because of his resemblance to the devil. Uh, they keep trying to get rid of Krampus is really what seems. So it, it was kind of unassociated with Christmas and then overall came more and more. So December 5th is Krampus night. And in Krampus night, Krampus goes around and he whips the bad kids with sticks and then takes them to the underworld. Great. So he accompanies St. Nick's. Um, he, he, so he would go along with St. Nick. St. Nick will leave stuff for the good kids. And then Krampus will whip the bad kids with branches or just kidnap and eat them and take them to hell. So, you know, now there's, there's also, these are coming out in a lot of places. There's some in the States now, which is the Krampus run, uh, which is where men dress up like Krampus and chase people in the streets. They are often drunk. Interesting. So that's kind of like, again, there's a resurgence with like, now there's Krampus horror movies. And now there's all of these things with it. There's Krampus runs. I think there's one in Milwaukee. So maybe next year we should go to Krampus night. All I'm saying, who knows? But yeah. And so that was kind of his thing is the bad kids. He whips them or eats them. So. So it's kind of like, if you don't get Santa, you get 
Krampus. So in this, it's separating it. So it's not really Santa that's punishing the bad kids. It's yeah. Krampus. So Santa's just leaving stuff being glory. good. Uh, Krampus is... And again, it's that threat. If you're bad, Krampus will get you. So here, here's kind of my thing with some of the older mythology. Tim brought up a good point that with some of these older ones, I'll talk about the Icelandic winter mythology as yeah. well, is that these threats were probably worked better when they originally were created because historically speaking, kids used to die a lot, mm -hmm. right? It was, you know, child mortality rates were much, much higher than they are now. So in the past, if it wasn't that uncommon for kids to pass away and go missing, a child would more plausibly believe that a monster might come and take them because maybe that's what happened to those other kids, right? right. Maybe Krampus got them. So I think... And that's just pure conjecture, so perhaps it was more effective in the past. But, I mean, if you look at it now, and I don't think there are any people who are legitimately trying to use Krampus right now to scare their children into good behavior. <laughs> but it's the other side of the coin, right? Your child's going to figure out really fast that Krampus is not real and it's an empty threat right. when they do something bad and, then, and are not eaten by a <laughs> demon, right? Like, that one is, like, I get... How historically it could work. Also, the other thing to remember is that a lot of these cultural myths are kind of losing their power because of the internet. Oh, totally. Like, your kids can Google Santa and find out he's fictional really quickly. And so it's like all of these things probably were good behavioral motivators in the past. Well, I think so. But maybe not as much now. And kind of like what I kind of go back to just because, like, I'm trauma-oriented mm -hmm. is, like... I'm sure a lot of the folklore back then, like including Krampus, was kind of used as a way to explain children dying so people yeah. weren't so terrified. So it's kind of giving that sense of control of like, oh, well, little Susie died because, I mean, she was a bad kid and Krampus mm -hmm. got her instead of like, oh, the mortality rates are just really high right now. Right. And it's it's. It's so different, and that's why I think this mythology is really interesting to learn about. Ultimately, if anybody out there is using Krampus as a behavior modification tool for the holidays, please let us know how it's going. I'm or genuinely even, like, curious. Grew like, grew up with it. Or if you grew up with Krampus, if you believe in Krampus, I'd love to hear kind of your perspective on things, because I think we see it like this. And it's easy to see why Krampus doesn't work, but parents have a lot harder time to see why Santa doesn't work. Because right. Krampus is so over the top. Like, if you, you know, do something bad and don't get whipped with a branch by a demon, you kind of know that. You figured it out. But Santa, and I know some families who do actually leave coal for their kids if they're bad. So in that mm. case, it's probably going to work. But yeah. if you don't do the follow through, it's not going to. Totally. Do you have anything else on Krampus? Not that I can think of, but yeah, a lot of the images are just like real spooky. They are. Um, <laughs> so let's get into this next one. Let's get into this one. So if you follow Lauren on Instagram, do you want to throw hey. out your Insta handle so I people can follow? Lauren underscore Malika, M-O-L-L-I-C-A, L-M-F-T. Yeah. That's, and Instagram. <laughs> that's her professional Insta. Yeah. Follow her. Um, so she put this on her story because we just like do all our research on Google Docs so we can both like go back and forth and mm -hmm. add stuff. So we're just, she put an elf on the shelf. 
which I was debating talking about, but I saw it in there. So I just typed, I hate him so much. Which I agree with fully. Yeah, so she posted that. So, uh, yeah, I'm coming out pretty strong against Elf on the shelf. So, But let's talk about what it is. <laughs> let's give it its fair thing before okay. I just okay. explain why it's awful. Okay. Um, so it's an elf toy with a book. It's just kind of a little cloth. I think he's made of cloth. Like so. his body's made of cloth and I think his head's probably head. plastic. A little yeah. creepy doll head. Here's a little elf. They're, they uh, they come in boy and girl and I think you can get different races of elves now. So they're working Same. on some representation. Okay. Um, comes with a little book, a little storybook. And so the elf watches kids during the day and then at night he goes back to the North Pole to report back to Santa to tell him what the kids are doing. And then the next morning, he's found in a different part of the house. So kids have to find the elf. Um, and the elf, you cannot touch the elf because if you touch the elf, he will lose his magic. Okay. Yes. So basically, um, the, it, it was written by this mom and her twin adult daughters. And basically, it was like their own family tradition from the 70s. I guess oh, the really? mom had like a weird elf and kind of moved it around and it became a thing. <laughs> Which is cute. I mean, like, every family's got their own stuff. You know, if you really love Elf on the Shelf, fine. I hope you enjoy it. Like, nothing against people who decide to do it. It's everybody gets to decide their own traditions for themselves. But here's some criticism about Elf on the Shelf. Let's throw this at you real quick. Um, Number one, it's become a very Pinteresty thing for parents. Like, it became... It's like now you have to put it in all of these creative situations and like sure do a post whole it on social set media. up instead of just like moving the elf from like the kitchen to the laundry room. Also, like kind of, it's just weird um, it, it to me. It puts a lot of pressure on parents. I feel like like it's very weird. It's supposed to be about the kids, but it ends up being about the parents. Yeah, I feel like it's just like unnecessary pressure. Yeah. on parents. Like it's just not necessary at all. Um, it's bumping up the commercialization of Christmas. Yeah. Now you need to buy this book and this doll and do Special this whole elves. thing. Yeah. And I feel like ultimately it's just adding another step to the Santa mythology, which is already flawed, right? Right. So now it's like Santa's not even watching you. Even though Santa, per the song, sees you when you're sleeping and knows when you're awake, he needs an elf to do his bidding now. And it's like a weird extra step. Some people have criticism that it actually normalizes surveillance. Uh, there's some conspiracy theories that this is teaching kids to be okay with being watched by the government at all Ew, times. Okay. So there's some people who are going real deep with it at normalizing surveillance. I think it's creepy. I, I think, think the elf too. looks creepy. I think that the story is like a creepy level because it's not just like, oh, Santa knows if you're bad and good. It's like Santa is very specifically sending a magical being to spy on you. And this is normal and everyone's going to act normal. Yeah, and it's, it's all... It's like that whole, like, Uncanny Valley thing. I, I think so. And it's also just, like, they're like, it's a priceless holiday tradition that started in, like, 2010. I know. Like, it's pretty recent. Yeah, there's ah. no, like, cultural mm -hmm. thing it ties... It's it's confusing to me, I think. Well, and I think also a lot of the Pinteresty things that are now the expectation of doing with them are kind of messing up the mythology that it's supposed to be like they're picturing the like you see a lot of it where like the elf is getting into trouble the elf is yeah. like doing all these weird things 
And it's just like he's supposed to be watching the kids, not like right. doing all these crazy magic. Like it's just like it's, so it's not. And then even oh, we're gonna laugh at him, so it's reinforcing the bad things he's doing. You know what I mean? Yeah, and so I think it's just a lot of pressure. I know um, some of my cousins do Elf on the Shelf, and two of my cousins that are sisters. One has five daughters, one has one daughter, mm-hmm. and the one with the one daughter like went over to the other house and fell in love with their Elf. And she was so mad, and she's texting me. She's like, now I have to do Elf on the Shelf because she's obsessed with it. And I feel like it's just unnecessary right. pressure and on And I feel parents. like that can be a simple conversation of, you know what, that Elf on the Shelf thing is really cool and really fun. And when we're at so-and-so's house, you can totally play with them and find the elf and all those things but our family just doesn't do that we don't have an elf here yeah some houses have elves and some don't um our house has special things too you know we do this uh, yeah i i just feel like it's adding an unnecessary commercial step to christmas well and the problem that i think i have with it too is like i think in our society there is a lot of pressure specifically on moms to be like these like perfect creative like homemakers that enjoy like this sort of thing so it's kind of like adding that layer of not only do you need to have your house completely decorated to look like a hallmark christmas card um and not only do you need to make christmas dinner from scratch but now you also have to be super creative and i think it's just one of those things where i try to remind moms a lot that like just be present on Christmas. Like, your kids aren't going to give a shit what your apple pie tastes like and that it was made from scratch. They're going to give a shit that you, you know, celebrated with mm-hmm. them and read them stories and, like, those things that you kind of were talking about before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing is, if you look, the creators of Elf on the Shelf are very clear that their book does not say you have to do all of those things, that it's right. kind of taken on a life of its own. But I think it's just, like, it's such a big thing and it's just like don't I don't think parents need any more pressure the holidays are a busy time yeah. I think you just got to do you and if you if it brings you joy then absolutely do it I think it's just and also again it's the same issues unless you're actually going to take all your kids toys away and just give them coal for Christmas it's not going to modify their behavior right. in the long run it may work temporarily but like it's not going to work year to year to year so Totally. It's not effective from that, but it could be fun for some people. So, Elf on the Shelf. But I'm against Elf we on the it. Shelf, personally. We do hate him. Okay, so I thought we would talk about some fun cultural mythology that we researched just from different cultures and things like that. Um, and the first one I wanted to talk about was Bell Snickle, as some of Ooh, you may Bell remember. <laughs> Bell Snickle was actually talked about on uh, The Office. Dwight talked about Bell Snickle. Okay. I never watched The Office. Okay. So basically, Bell Snickle is a crotchety, fur-clad Christmas gift bringer figure in the folklore of the Palatinate region of southwestern Germany and the Pennsylvania Dutch communities. So Bell Snickle is a man wearing furs and sometimes a mask with a long tongue, so similar to Krampus. He is typically very ragged and disheveled. He wears torn, tattered, and dirty clothes, and he carries a switch in his hand and with to beat naughty children. Um, But also a pocket full of cakes, candies, and nuts for the good children. Okay, interesting. a little bit of balance there. Yeah. So I'm just going to read this little thing I found. 
So he was known as Chris Kinkle. Beltsnickel sometimes as the Christmas woman. Children then not only saw the mysterious person, but felt him rather felt him or rather his stripes upon their back with his switch. The annual visitor would make his appearance some hours after dark, thoroughly disguised, especially with especially the face, which would sometimes be covered with a hideously ugly fizz. I don't know what that is. Okay. Generally worn female garb, hence the name Christmas woman. Sometimes it would be a veritable woman with a masculine force in action. He or she was, was equipped with an ample sack about the shoulders filled with cakes, nuts, and fruits, and a long hazel switch, which was supposed to have some kind of charm in it as well as a sting. One would scatter the goodies upon the floor, and then scramble would begin by the delighted children, and the other hand would ply the switch upon the backs of the excited youngsters, who would not show a wince, but had it in parental discipline, there would have been screams to reach a long distance. So just very bizarre messaging there of, mm-hmm. like, throwing, like, fruits and presents down, but then beating the children as they went for it. Interesting. Very interesting. That's a mixed message to kid. Like, you get presents, but I'm also going to beat you. And, I mean, who knows? Maybe it was actually the parents would just kind of, like, throw presents on the ground and then beat their kids. I don't know if this was something right. people actually did. I could, I mean, that one actually is, like, plausible and that the parents could have done it. Right. It's, it, like, I don't understand the message behind it. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's weird. Like, it's from southwestern Germany, so then it kind of brings in, like, the Krampus thing, but it's mm-hmm. also common in Pennsylvania Dutch communities, which I feel like is super random. The Pennsylvania Dutch community is just so interesting in and of itself. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. It is also interesting that it, it's kind of like this creature that's, like, woman and man. Mm-hmm. So I guess there's some inclusivity there. I mean, no I guess idea. the thing is, I would assume that if you're looking at mythical beings like biological sex and gender probably don't work the same right like if these are like magical creatures who knows how their biology works and how their gender expression works so you know it's hard to tell with some of these it's just like is it a man or a woman who knows it's a magical creature so it's probably neither yeah um so i thought that was interesting and the fact that it was in the office definitely um so i'm gonna talk about The Icelandic mythology, because I don't know if you guys know what's going on. It's fascinating. Um, Something that I saw a bunch during this research, which is not at all related, but I think is fun, is that a study in the 90s said that like 50% of people in Iceland believed elves are real. So I'm very curious. If you are from Iceland and you have seen an elf, I would really love to hear about it. Reach out to us on our Facebook page. Let me know what the elves are doing. I think it's called, like, something folk. Yeah. Hild the folk or something like something that. Something like that. Yeah. So, yeah, if you're from Iceland, I, I genuinely really want to talk to you about it. So reach out on our Please. Facebook page, Spooky Psychology St. Charles. Thank you. We're very <laughs> curious. Oh, We're not judging. We really just want to know. Um, so we're going to talk about, first of all, Grilia, Grilda. Uh, my pronunciation of names is probably going to be terrible, so I am very sorry about this. So... Grilda is a Christmas witch who lives in a castle in the hinterlands. So, yeah, she's really interesting. So, the name kind of translates to Growler. And she'd show up. She's got different... There's different poems and stuff. So, in some, she has, like, a horned tail. 
In some, she has tons of tales. I've heard up to 15 tales in different retellings. And she has a bag in which she tosses naughty children to make them into a stew. So she's kind of a witch that lives in a cave and comes down and kidnaps bad children. And uh, so this kind of happens during the Yule celebration, which is, you know, time of gathering together, feasting and celebrating, which is kind of connected to modern day Christmas. It's darker than the U.S. celebrations. Um, the earliest celebrations of the season are viewed as a time to bring together relatives, living and deceased, but also elves. So in the Yule celebration, the elves, the trolls, magical creatures believed to inhabit the landscape would visit in the flesh. There were masked figures and like families would come together and your dead relatives are also involved. So Yule had quite a lot going on. And Grilda was a part of this. So I don't think she was originally like connected to Yule necessarily. She was just kind of the witch that lived that would come and steal children. But then she became more connected. She also has a husband. Um... I couldn't find a lot on the husband other than he's described as lazy and browbeaten, but she does have a husband, so she and her husband collectively kidnap children and make stew, so sometimes he's seen with her. So it's kind of like a Hansel and Gretel type of vibe? Sort of. Uh, They also have a Yule cat. They do have a cat. Um, This lovely cat has a taste for human flesh. Oh. And this cat will, he lurks in the countryside and will eat anyone, children or adults, who didn't get clothes for Christmas. So getting clothes for Christmas is a sign that you worked hard during the year. So if you were lazy and didn't work hard and people didn't give you clothes, then the Yule cat will eat you. And maybe you should be appreciative for clothes. Maybe. Yeah. That whole thing of like how kids don't like getting clothes for Christmas. As an adult, I love getting clothes for Christmas. I'm like, please give me socks. Socks, please. Um, So yeah, it was like really interesting. So that's kind of part of their mythology. So she and her husband will make bad children into the stew. And then the Yule cow will eat anyone who didn't get new clothes. And then there are the Yule lads. So the Yule lads are their 13 children. So this gets interesting. So apparently the Yule lads have changed quite a bit. They're becoming more like Santa Claus over time and more positive. They didn't used to be. And so actually you'll even see the whole Grilda myth. She's becoming more positive over time. If anybody watches um, the gritty reboot of Sabrina, The Netflix series, Uh which I love. It's so fascinating. But Grilda is in there with the Yule Lads. There's a whole episode about it. And in that, she's like protecting children, not eating them. So she's like misunderstood in that one. Uh, Not here, though. We're talking old school mythology. So, you know, nowadays... The Yule Lads are kind of the 13 Father Christmases. They are merry but mischievous, and they take turns visiting kids on the 13 nights leading up to Christmas. So they each come once a night, and on those nights, children place their shoe on the windowsill. If they're good, the Yule Lad leaves candy. If not, they fill the shoes with rotting potatoes. So it's, again, kind of similar to, like, the St. Nicholas thing where you leave your shoes out and then St. Nicholas will put candy in your shoes. And this one, it's the Yule Lads. That's more of a modern one. So they, I, a lot of the articles I was reading said that they used to be, like, more mischievous, but they've been morphing more and more into Santa Claus over time. But I am going to tell you about these Yule Lads because they are fascinating. 
Um, so it used like the seven dwarves. Similar, yeah. It used to be that they would uh, steal things from you. And so, yeah, they're, these are kind of their names. There was the Sheepcoat Clod, who suckles ewes in farmer sheep sheds. So he's, I believe so, yeah. There's Gullygawk, who steals the foam from buckets of cow's milk. Stubby, he's short and he steals food from frying pans. The spoon licker licks spoons. These are like what their names translate to. So there's spoon licker. There's the pot scraper or the pot licker who steals unwashed pots and pans and licks them clean. Uh, There's the bowl licker, steals bowls of food from under the bed. Uh, It says that in the old days, Icelanders used to store bowls of food under the bed. So he'd steal that. Uh, The door slammer. Stomps around and slams doors, keeping people awake. Rude. Yeah. The skier gobbler eats up all of the skier. Uh, skier is an Icelandic yogurt, and it is delicious and high in protein, and I think you should all try some if you're a yogurt person. It's really, really good. Uh, the sausage swiper steals sausages. The window peeper uh, creeps outside windows and sometimes steals what he sees inside. The door sniffer has a nose and sniffs from the door steals some baked goods. Oh. Uh, meat hook snatches up any meat left out, especially smoked lamb. The candle beggar steals candles. Uh, I've also heard in other ways that he was the candle bite her, biter, that he would eat candles. Oh. Um, so kind of some of the interesting, huh. and again, I don't know, and I'm not an expert on any of this, but it is kind of interesting if you look at things that the um, Yule lad's did mm-hmm. historically a lot of it seems like they would steal your stuff if you didn't clean up after yourself that's what i was kind of getting to where there's a strong like if you leave stuff out or don't lick uh-huh. your pots the yule lads will come or get you steals the cow's milk so better go milk the cow before the sheep coat comes right like it's so interesting to think about um you know in the past, I have no idea how effective this is. Again, if you're from Iceland, I would love to hear about how this stuff plays out now. Yeah. Um, but again, now the Yule lads like leave stuff for children, so they seem to be much closer to Santa Claus, where they'll like leave candy or rotten potatoes, depending on what kind of kid you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and who knows? I think, again, if you actually follow through with that, it could be effective, especially with the Yule lads, since it's 13 days, so you like get a chance to do better if you get rotten potatoes the oh. first day. Like, it could theoretically I feel actually like this work. This is like the one that makes the most sense to me. Right? Like, I mean, if you think about the more modern versions, there'd probably be, like, a sock stealer who steals your socks that you leave on the floor. And, like, different things like that. Don't leave your dishes in your room. Because then the dish, whatever. Yeah, so the the bowl liquor will, like, take your food if you leave it. So these ones are really interesting, and I honestly, I think the Yule Lads would probably be the mythical creature because they're kind of mischievous and they just mess with you a little bit and again their consequences seem to be pretty natural and effective right if you leave this out it gets eaten there's different things so i would be curious to see efficacy yeah yeah. i mean i really interesting i think they're fascinating if you are from iceland please tell us how this plays out we'd love to hear from you i think we do have somebody who follows us from we probably do we might or just people who are using VPNs that show that they're in Iceland, but they may or may not be. Rude. Technology. <laughs> it's amazing. 
So I wanted to tell you a little bit about the Yukiana, which is the snow woman in Japanese folklore. So I think this is kind of interesting because we are familiar in our culture with snowman mm-hmm. and Jack Frost and all that stuff. Oh, so definitely. This is kind of interesting. So um, according to Japanese folklore, a beautiful woman came to visit a man and became his wife from the woman's own desire. Ooh. So this woman was reluctant to go into the bath, and when she was made to go in anyway, she disappeared, leaving only thin, fragmented, floating icicles. How sad. That is very sad. So I'm, even like with that, like, I'm wondering if that ties to, like, for children, like, you need to take a bath I to prove you're not a Yukiana. <laughs> I maybe. Um, so Yukiana preyed on travelers lost in the heavy snowstorms that blanket the Japanese Alps in the winter. They have an un- otherworldly beauty with long black hair, piercing eyes, color deep violet. Ooh, that's interesting. Hmm. Um, their skin is ageless and as white as snow. Much like mine. <laughs> their bodies are as cold as ice. Also like me. <laughs> and a mere touch is enough to give a human a deep, unshakable chill. She feeds on human life force, sucking it from their mouths into hers with an icy breath that often freezes her victim solid. Hmm. So, yeah. Um, I mean, I feel like it personifies winter storms in the Japanese Alps. You know? Yeah, very could be. That's very interesting. Yeah, but I think it's interesting that, you know, the snowman or snowwoman transfers to other cultures too, kind of that. Yeah, I mean, I think what I found so interesting and kind of where this idea came from is folklore. I know we've touched on it a little bit in the past, particularly in our live Halloween special, which we'll probably film like next year for Halloween, maybe. We really can't do it now. It'd be a little bit weird, but we'll we'll bring it back to you guys. But like folklore is so interesting and you can see in the past, like sometimes the folklore was meant to keep children safe from things like don't go into the forest. There's a monster in there. Mm -hmm. There may not be a monster, but the forest can be a dangerous place for there could be an animal that could eat them like they could get hurt. They could get lost. There's so many things that could happen. So, you know, breaking it down into a way that a kid would understand makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. But I find it so interesting that across so many different cultures are holiday mythology relies so heavily on whether or not you're a good kid and modifying the behavior of children to make them good for the holidays right like i never thought about it until we like started doing this and i'm like this is such a huge trend that like that's what we're doing with holidays is trying to make kids better people right and the reality of it is you can make your kids better people by just being consistent Mm -hmm. and warm and the things Megan mentioned before. And you can make your kids better people by just working a little bit every day. It doesn't need to be this big holiday Brand scramble. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it is kind of cool. And like I said, I think historically a lot of this probably worked better for behavior modification than it does now. But now that we see all of these things on the internet and there's movies and all of these different things, it's a little bit like, okay, like they're going to figure it out quickly. And if there's not that follow through on the threats, it's going to break down. Totally. So don't threaten your kids into acting better. It usually doesn't work. Santa doesn't work. I'm sorry. We and I think Santa's great as like a fun cultural thing. I think the movies are awesome. I think he's great to talk about as a figure, but in terms of actually trying to change your behavior, he's not the best way to go. Totally. 
you can do other things every day. And um, yeah, I mean, if you want to know more about like children and children's mental health, we can do other episodes about that. Definitely. You just got to let us know if you're interested or not. Mm-hmm. Again, our Facebook page is Spooky Psychology St. Charles. Please follow us, like our page, and you can message us directly or mm-hmm. post on the wall if you have ideas. We're, we're looking for them. We're definitely open to things, to hearing what you guys want to talk about. Totally. And definitely um, subscribe and rate. And in Please. the ratings, if you want to leave ideas or any feedback that you have, we definitely look at it and we appreciate it very much. Yeah, very much. We you know love to hear from you guys. So this, since this is the season of giving, um, are there any people doing good shit that you wanted to mention or people that you would like to have people donate to? Um... I can go first if you need Yeah, to. why don't you go first? Okay. I, I mean, I should be more prepared, but I'm not. Yeah, it's okay. Um, so, basically, you guys know that I am obsessed with my pig daughters. I have a very special place in my heart for pigs. Um, and I actually adopted my second pig, Majora, from a farm called Oinking Acres. And they are in Indiana. Aww. And what they are is a non-for-profit um, that adopts all pigs and rehabilitates them and, you know, tries to get them to their forever homes. But if they can't, they just take care of them forever. So it's also a sanctuary. Um, it's actually ran by a little girl and her mom. So she's like... I want to say she's, like, 16, Aww. and she's doing, like, these super amazing things and saving all these pigs, and it's just such an amazing job, and her mom is super cool, too, um, and I know that they always appreciate donations, especially this time of year, because they're working to keep the barn warm for the pigs so they don't get sick, hmm. um, and they're just, they're really cool people. She shares a lot about education, about pigs and myths about pigs so that people feel educated and prepared before they adopt one that's important um so she's really cool so definitely give her a follow too she's on instagram and facebook and it's called oinking acres oinking acres okay so i know i've said this before i'm going to throw it out there again please consider if you want to do some holiday giving donating to your local children's advocacy center unfortunately the holidays are a very common time for child abuse to happen children are around family members things can go poorly so you know I don't want to bring it down too much, but think about the kids this year. Your local children's advocacy center advocates for children who are abused or undergoing an abuse investigation or part of another violent crime. They can provide advocacy and free counseling services, so please feel free to reach out to them. A lot of them will have an Amazon wish list of supplies they need. They may do direct donations of toys and stuff. Usually they give toys to kids who are being interviewed. They get like a present at the end. So you can donate some presents that will go directly to kids. So yeah, look it up. There are about 800 in the United States. So there's probably one somewhere near you. There's also a few internationally. Um, but if you're somewhere that doesn't have a children's advocacy center, please consider donating to a local cause that supports abused children this year. Please. Well, thank you for listening. Hopefully this was interesting and enjoy the holiday season. Yeah, happy holidays, guys. Stay spooky. Bye.